This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. Good morning, everybody. Y'all excited? Good. Hey, uh, before we get into the message, just have a quick announcement. Uh, on Sunday, November 24th at 6 p.m., so that's the Sunday before Thanksgiving, uh, we're going to host the community-wise Thanksgiving service right here at Relate Church. So it's when all the churches in the area, they kind of get together and they pull into one place and we have a service. And so we'll be doing the praise and worship for them. We'll be hosting it. So just encourage everybody to come out for that. It's just going to be a good time of, you know, giving God thanks for all the good things he's done. Amen? And so that is Sunday, November 24th at 6 p.m. All right. Well, we are in part four of our series. We're calling it Through the Storm. And uh, how many are glad you're going through the storm? You're going through. And man, how about that last song, the, you know, about the name of Jesus? And man, that, that name is, is powerful. And every knee must bow to that name. I mean, whatever's got a name that's got to bow to that name. So I just want to encourage you to speak that name with authority. Speak that name with faith. Speak to your mountain in that name. And it's got to move. It's got, it's got to move. It can't stay there. And so, man, I just, I just got excited about singing that. So we've been in this series called Through the Storm. We've looked at three storms in the Word of God. We looked at the storm of Jonah. And how many of you remember that Jonah got into his storm because he was disobedient to God? But God will always, even if you're disobedient, God will provide a way of escape for you. And so Jonah's way of escape was he repented before God. He, you know, he, he, he realized that he was wrong. He repented and he prayed and God delivered him out of the belly of that fish. And then we looked at the storm of the disciples, and the disciples got into their storm because of their perfect obedience. I mean, they were completely obedient to God, and then they found themselves in a, in a storm that was so terrifying to them, they thought for sure they were going to perish. But they got out of their storm because someone, and that someone was Jesus, used their authority to calm the seas and to stop the wind, Right? And then we, we looked at the storm of Paul. Paul was on a boat, a prisoner boat to Rome, and, and he was on that boat, and he, he can't got into this storm because of someone else's actions. And we've all had someone else to do us wrong, to do something that negatively affected our life. And Paul got through that storm because he persevered and he had faith in God. And so we all have lessons that we can learn from those storms, right? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he was not... Uh, he was very experienced to the, the storms of life. And he just didn't go through this, this literal storm in Acts 27. But Paul experienced storms of life. And, and you know what I mean by that. He, just, he experienced trouble. He experienced affliction. He experienced hardship in his life. And, and so we all have to go through that. And so Paul was very experienced. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said this. He said, I've been put in prison more often than these other so-called apostles. He said, I've been whipped times without number and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times stoned. He wasn't mean he was smoking something. <laughs> he wasn't smoking something. He was the other kind of stone. And see, so three times I was, I was shipwrecked. 
Once I spent a whole night and a day of drift at sea. Some, some of you think, I do have something in common with Paul. All right, so <laughs> he said, I've, he said, I've spent a whole night and a day of drift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I've worked hard and long, and during many sleepless nights, I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. So, I mean, you can see from right there, Paul... Paul's life, although, man, we look at him and we revere him for what he, you know, he, he's, uh, what he accomplished for the kingdom of God. And we said, man, it must have been awesome to be Paul. But Paul was, I mean, he had a lot of hardship in his life as well. And, and, and a lot of times we said, man, man, I'm just, you know, I don't have enough money to pay the bill this month. How many of you want to trade places with Paul? I mean, getting stoned and lashed and... And drifting in the sea. And I mean, I don't know about you. I don't want to trade places with Paul. And so we had some, he had some real trauma in his life. And in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, he said this in verse 8. He said, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We are pressed on every side by troubles. I mean, this is a man of faith. This is a man of faith and power. He said, we're, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. What I appreciate, Paul, is that he didn't have this catastrophic worldview that everything is going to go bad and woe is me and, man, why am I getting the short end of the stick? And, man, he said, we're pressured on every side. He said, but we're not crushed. We're pressed, but not crushed. Anybody here, you ever feel pressed before? Well, that's okay. If you're, if you're pressed, that's okay. But it's not okay to be crushed. So he said, we're pressed but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are hunted down but never abandoned by God. That's good news. We get knocked down but we're not destroyed. One translation says we're knocked down but not knocked out. I like that. We got knocked down but we're not knocked out. He goes on to say, um, where are we? Okay, he said, we're not destroyed through suffering. Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death. And so we can see that, that Paul, he faced some difficulties. He had some storms in his life. And not just that storm out on the sea, but he had these, these, these other kind of storms, this other kind of trouble. And, and as bad as these outward storms were in Paul's life, the outward storms were not the most dangerous storms in his life. There are things that can go on in you that are much more, have the potential to be much more catastrophic than the things going on around you. The storm on the outside does not compare and it, has, it doesn't have nearly the, as much potential to destroy your life as the storm on the inside has the potential to destroy your life. And so Paul just didn't face an outward storm. Paul faced an inward storm. 
And I want to talk to you today, and I want to preach to you today, and I want to get excited with you today, and I want to hit the nail on the head today, and I want us to touch that inward storm that could possibly be going on on the inside of each one of us. Because when we deal with that storm, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. The reason that Paul wasn't crushed is because he found a way to deal with the inward storm. Right? The, the reason that he was, he was pressed but not crushed, the reason that he was knocked down but not knocked out is because he found out how to deal with this inward storm in his life. And so in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, verse 5, he said, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction. I mean, can you see this? If you... I'm so glad that the Word of God doesn't sugarcoat, it doesn't hide all the mistakes, it doesn't hide the failures, it doesn't hide the hardships of people. He said, we're faced conflict from every direction. I mean, this is a great man of faith and power, but he said, on every, everywhere we turn, we've got some conflict. He said, we've got battles on the outside, now get this, and fear on the inside. Everybody say, fear on the inside. The fear on the inside... Fear on the inside can be much more detrimental to your life than anything going on on the outside. Fear on the inside is much more catastrophic than any battle on the outside. Job said it like this. He said, that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. Do you realize this, that fear is an enemy of yours? Fear is an enemy. Fear is not a friend. Fear is a foe. Fear is an enemy. Fear must be treated like an enemy. Fear must be resisted like an enemy. I mean, if someone were breaking into your house, what would you do? If someone were breaking into your house, what would you do? You wouldn't, you wouldn't just sit back and everything's okay. What would you do? You would resist the enemy. And fear must be resisted. Amen. So uh, notice this, that, that Paul had all these conflicts without, all these battles without, but he said there was fear within, fear within. And you know, it's not the water around the ship that sinks the ship. It's the water that gets in the ship that sinks the ship. You can't allow what's going on around you to get in you. Even if there's everyone else is operating in fear, you can't allow of what's going on outside to get in you. Because if you take on water, if you take on fear, it has the potential to sink your boat, to sink your life. Amen. So we're going to deal with this today. We're going to deal with fear and how to overcome it. So in Mark, the fourth chapter, the disciples, and we talked about this storm a couple of weeks ago, the disciples not only were facing a storm without, they were facing a storm within. And notice this in Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care? So if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this and we preached about this, that you should never, you should never estimate God's care for you in light of your present circumstances and what you're going through. Just because you're going through a difficult time doesn't mean that God has forgotten you or doesn't care about you or God's not, going, not planning on working on your behalf. You can't, you can't mistake the, what's going on around you for 
God's care for you. So he, they said this, teacher, do you not care? Do, do you not care that we're perishing? And we we should never, and you and I as believers, we should never question God's care for us. It shows a lot of immaturity when we question God's care. It shows a gross lack of faith when we question God's care. Now, if you're a baby Christian, that's one thing. But if you've been in the Word for a little while, you've come across some of this. And so God, he said, don't you care that, we, that we're perishing? And then Jesus arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, so Jesus took care of business, but then he turned around, he directed his attention to the disciples, and he said, why are you so fearful? You see, they had a storm without, but they also had a storm within. What was the storm within? They were fearful. They had taken on fear in their life. Why are you so fearful? And then he says, how is it that you have no faith? So I want you to notice th these three phrases go together. Their phrase, do you not care that we perish? His phrase is, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? To question God's care, it just, it just highlights, um, it highlights fear in our life and it highlights a lack of faith in our life. When we're afraid, it highlights these things. And I'm not, I'm not getting on to you. Because we can say, and we'll see just a minute, that we don't have to stay in a place of fear. We don't have to stay in a place of a lack of faith. And it's not really difficult. You don't, it's nothing that you have to work up. It's nothing that you have to put on. If you'll do what we're talking about today, it, faith and, I mean, just confidence in God, it'll come almost naturally. It's, it's like breathing. You don't have to think about your next breath. You don't have to think about your heart. You, there's, you don't have to think one bit to make your heart beat the next time. You don't have to think one bit to make your lungs pump one more time. And if you, we can position ourselves and we can think about the right things and do the right things, and faith will come naturally to us. Does that sound good? And, you know, people say, well, I'm trying to believe. Well, you don't have to try to believe. You don't have to try to believe any more than you have to try to breathe. You don't have to try to believe any more than you have to try for your heart to beat one more time. Amen. Now, so the, he said, why, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So when we talk about fear, we're not necessarily, necessarily talking about full-blown panic like the disciples had. I mean, they were in they were in full-blown panic mode. I mean, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? I mean, they're, thinking, they're going down. They're thinking it's all over. So we're, when we're talking about fear, we're not just, I mean, that is an aspect of fear, panic. But fear can be much more subtle than just panic. Fear can sneak up on you, and it's like a boat that's got a little crack in the hull. It can just begin to just seep in, seep in until all of a sudden, hey, man, you know, we're sitting a little lower in the water than we were, and you realize you've got some water in the hull, and you've been taking on water for hours, or you've been taking on water for weeks, and so fear can be much more subtle than just full-blown panic. 
Sometimes fear manifests itself in worry or anxiety, anxious about something, worried about something. Are you listening? Uh, panic is, is defined as the sudden, overwhelming, unreasoning fear which overtakes a person in the face of real or imagined danger. That's what panic is. But the kind of fear that I really want to talk about, and I think most of us, if, if we've, we've dealt with this or are dealing with this, is, is more of a seed of fear. It's this low-grade fear that just kind of seeps in. It's like a low-grade fever. It's there. It hadn't really stopped you too much up to the point. But it's there. And it's just kind of low-grade. And so I believe that there's people in here that you're dealing with that. And here's, the, here's the, the thing. If you allow that seed to germinate in you, if you allow that low-grade fever to go unchecked, if you don't deal with the infection, the fever will build. If you don't, if you don't do something about the hole in the boat, you're going to take on more water Maybe a little at a time, but eventually you're going to have some problems. And so we need to check fear. We need, to, we need to learn how to identify fear. We need to recognize it. And then we need to eradicate it from our life. Every vestige of it. Every bit of it. Until we are fearless. Until there's no fear in our life. All right, so somebody, so we're, we're talking about worry, so somebody described worry as like this. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through our mind. And I like the way that's defined. That's what worry is. It's this thin stream of fear that trickles through our mind, and if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. It's like a vacuum. All other thoughts just kind of rush in there because you've got this mindset, this fear mindset. And if it goes unchecked, everything, I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll taint everything else in your life. Fear will get into everything that you do. It'll get into your relationships. It'll get into your finances. It'll get into how you deal with your children. It, it'll, do, it'll, it'll get into how you think about your future. It'll infect every area of your life, and there's no good that can come from fear. There's no good that can come from worry. We'll see it in a minute, but worry can never add anything to your life. It can only subtract from your life. Worry can only take from you. It'll never add anything to you. And sometimes worry is it's, we kind of play with it and we, we talk, you know, we say, well, it's just wisdom. You know, you got to use wisdom. And you do have to use wisdom. But wisdom should never be tainted with fear. Wisdom should bring a lot of confidence to our life. It shouldn't be tainted with fear. So I want, you, I want us to notice this. Fear can be identified and fueled fuel through certain things like this. I don't feel good enough. I don't measure up. 
And I'm not asking you to say, hey, you're talking about me, but, you know, I don't measure up. I, I won't have enough. I'll, I'll always lack in my life. Maybe you're getting into your 50s or 60s or 70s and, you're, and, and there's this, this anxious thought, this worried kind of thing that's just operating beneath the surface. Will we have enough? Can you see how that can be tormenting? That can be tormenting to your life. If, if you, every morning or every night, you're thinking, will we have enough? Or you just have this pervasive sense that something bad is going to happen. This is called a catastrophic mentality that if it can go bad, it's probably going to go bad. But you're a believer. You're a child of God. I mean, we should be thinking, man, I'm going, I know that it's going to be some trouble in my life, but God is on my side. God is for me. He's towing the line with me. I mean, he's my helper. And though I'm going to experience conflict on every side and trouble on every side, I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to worry because God is with me. God is for me. God is in me. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He'll never leave me or he'll never forsake me so that I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. Or maybe this, this, this thought, I, I, I won't su succeed, I'm doomed to failure. I won't succeed, I won't amount to anything, or others will reject me or they disapprove me. I, I, and, you know, some people, they just have this, this worry, this anxiety. You know, is there anybody out there that will ever recognize me? Is there anybody out there that will ever love me? Is there anybody out there that will ever want me? And all this stuff, it, it's, this, it's this stream of fear, as low-grade as it may be, that causes your life to begin to take on water. And you begin to sink, sit lower into the water. And pretty soon, you got water just a little bit coming over the bow. Until pretty soon, if it goes unchecked and you don't do something about it, you're sunk. How many of you vote for that? No, that's not what we want. We want something done about it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, there's some of you in here, you don't believe that you have any value. No one's ever treated you like you have value. No one's treated you like you're important. You don't feel valued. You don't feel important. And if that's you, you need to take God's word for it. 
that you are valuable, that you are precious to God, that you are important to God, that he sees you, he loves you, he's got a plan for you. He's got something for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't overlooked you. You need to know that you're valuable to God. But you see, if you allow a thought to persist that you're not valuable to God, that very fear and that mindset will begin to work against you. And when it works against you, you'll begin to repel the people that you want the closest to you. But your confidence can't come from other people. Your confidence must come from God. Your acceptance just can't come from other people. Your acceptance must come from God. And he does accept you. You're accepted in the beloved. He loves you and cares for you. Amen. So Jesus said, so don't take thought for your life. He said, are are you not much more valuable than these birds? He said, your father feeds them. And then he says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Again, worry can add nothing to you. Worry can, it'll, it'll rob you of your peace. Worry will rob you of your joy. Worry will rob you of your sleep. Worry will rob you of of your time with family. Worry will take away from your life. It'll take away. It'll never add anything to you. And then Jesus went on to say, and and he said, "And and what about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even... Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Now, we may not say these things out loud. We just think them out loud. It's just loud in our head. What are we going to do about the future? It's loud in our head. It's that voice in our head. It's that, per, that prevailing thought in our head. And it's just that, it's that trickle of fear that's running through our mind, which every other thought just is drained into. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. All right? And so, notice this. He said, look, unbelievers are thinking about all this stuff. Unbelievers are worried about all these things. Don't be like an unbeliever. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be like them. He said, instead of having your mind on all that stuff, just get your mind on the kingdom. Well, how can I make a difference today? How can I go make a difference in someone else's life today? How can I do that? And he said, get your mind on that. Don't be thinking about all the time what you're going to eat. I know some of you men, that's all you think about. You eating breakfast, what are we going to eat for lunch and dinner? You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? How are we going to make it? Who's going to love me? On and on and on. And Jesus said, don't do that. 
because none of those things can add anything to you. And so, fear needs to be identified, recognized, and eradicated in our life. Every bit of it. It needs to be identified, recognized, and eradicated. Now, John, who happened to be on the boat that was sinking, you remember on the disciples' storm, John was on the boat. He was one of those who ran to Jesus and said, hey, don't you care that we're perishing? Well, many years later, John writes, in 1 John, he writes this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. Now, we don't know when John learned that lesson. But we do know this, that if you read the Gospel of John, we know that, that John refers to himself as the disciple the Lord loves. So somewhere along the line, it, it, maybe it was just on that boat. Maybe he just got a revelation on that boat when the boat was sinking. That You know what? The Lord really does care for me. He really does love me. And for him, that just settled it because years later, he said, there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. He's not talking about me loving 003 and a half here. He's not talking about me loving Jimmy. He's talking about me having a revelation of how much he loves me. And when I have a revelation of how much God loves me, it will cast fear out of me. It'll eradicate fear in my life when I realize how much God loves me. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that we would know the, the width and the depth and the length and the height of his love. That we would know it, that we would be rooted and grounded in it. He said if we did that, if we got rooted and grounded in his love, if we understood how much he loved us, we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Not filled with fear, not filled with worry, not filled with anxiety, filled with all the fullness of God, filled with the faith of God, filled with the strength of God, filled with the gifts of God, filled with the goodness of God, filled with the provision of God, filled with the protection of God, filled with the peace of God. I mean, filled with God. That's a lot better than being filled with fear. That's a lot better than being filled with anxiety. That's a lot better than being filled with all these worry thoughts. What are we going to do? He said, if you'll just get established in the fact that God loves you, you'll be filled with his fullness. It's a good word. Because he loves us, he is totally committed to our care. Because God loves us, he is totally committed to our care. Thank you. Would you agree with that? And you know, if, if, if we were convinced, I mean, if we were completely convinced that God loves us with an everlasting love, let me tell you how much he loves you. In Revelation 3, he told one of the churches, he said, you hadn't bowed your knee to Satan. You hadn't, you hadn't gone that way, but you stayed faithful to me. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to cause those of the synagogue of Satan to come bow down before you. And I'm going to show them how much 
I love you. Isn't that good? One of these days, I mean, God's just going to put it on display. He said, let me show you, devil, how much I love these. I'm showing it right now, but one of these, he said, I'm going to call those of the synagogue Satan, come and bow at your feet, and I'm going to show them how much I love you. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he doesn't love you based on your performance. His love is not performance-based. There's nothing that you could do to earn it. There's nothing that you've done to deserve it. God's love for you is based upon his character, not your conduct. And there's nothing that you could do to make him love you more. And there's nothing that you've done to make him love you less. It is completely, absolutely void of anything that you could do to earn it or keep it. He loves you because of him. Not because of you. And because he loves us, he has committed himself he has taken it upon himself to care for you. All of your days care for you. And we could answer a thousand questions. If we were just, if we were just completely convinced that God loved us, we could, we could answer a thousand questions like, like this. Will God supply all of my needs? Well, yeah, he loves me. Will God heal me? Yeah, he loves me. But you see, it's, we have a part to become convinced. And when we become convinced, faith is, is a byproduct. Faith is just springs up. when And, you know, Galatians says this, faith works by love. This is not by me walking in love with Perry. This is not me walking in love with my wife that's going to cause faith to work in me. What's going to cause faith to work in me is when I understand that God loves me. It'll do, knowing that God loves you will boost your faith more than anything. It'll just cause confidence to rise up in you. So how do we, how do we combat this fear when it, when it tries to come into our life? Well, we do it with the Word of God. I want to just read some scriptures to you. In Joshua 10, 25, just... just just, just take these in. Just write, you can write these scriptures down. You can come back to them and study them later. In John, Joshua 10, 25, he says, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Now, he, he's, why would he tell you, why would he exhort you to be strong and good, good courage if you weren't going to have anything outward trying to afflict you? Psalm 27, 1 says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may arise against me, in this I will be confident. I mean, even, I mean, War is going to rise up against me, but even in this, I'm going to maintain my confidence in God. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. I mean, the earth just caves in all around you. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we're not going to fear. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 54, 14 says, In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Mark 5, 36, this is when Jairus says, he came to approach Jesus and his daughter was sick. She was at the point of death. And he said, Lord, come heal my daughter. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come heal your daughter. And on the way, they got stopped by the woman with the issue of blood. And she came through the press and she touched Jesus' clothes. And Jesus took time out of his schedule, making his way to Jairus' daughter so he could heal her. And, and the woman with the issue of blood fell down and told Jesus all the truth and I'm sure Jairus is back there oh, Lord and, and fear is trying to agree we've got to get to my daughter she's at the point of death and you're stopping for this woman who's lived out her whole life and, and I just need you to get to my young daughter I need you to get to my daughter but yet Jesus took time out for this other lady and when they finally got through with that People came from Jairus' house, hey, don't trouble the master any longer, your daughter is dead. And the next words out of Jesus' mouth was this, do not be afraid, only believe. I mean, why would you say that after his daughter is dead? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And there's nothing that's too far gone for him. And so he says, do not be afraid. Only believe. I mean, only believe means you can't do something else. If you're only believing, that means that you're not doubting. And I mean, right in the midst of death, do you mean to tell me that we can actually refuse to doubt? You might have some thoughts. You can't stop that bird from flying over your head. But you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. Right? You can deal with the thoughts. He says, do not be afraid. Only believe. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Don't let what's around you get in you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. And then finally, 2 Timothy 1, 7. says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of sound mind. I want you to stand with me. We're going to just worship God, and I want you to allow Him to minister His love for you. So don't get distracted. I mean, just just open your heart up to God and let Him minister His love to you. Amen.
everybody just bow your head and close your eyes right now. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that your love goes out to us right now. I thank you that your love penetrates every area of our life, every affliction, every hardship, every trouble that's come against us. Lord, I ask that you would manifest yourself. Manifest your love through your goodness and your kindness, through your help and your strength. I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for healing right now. In Jesus' name. I thank you that you're touching bodies. I thank you that you're healing sickness. I thank you that you're healing disease. I thank you that you're healing depression. I thank you that you're healing oppression. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor and glory. You're so good to us. You're so kind to us. We thank you that you are a very present help in our time of trouble. Lord, I pray for anyone in here who's never made Jesus the Lord of their life. I thank you that you, this whole service, you've been drawing them to you. And I thank you that their heart is open and receptive. And I thank you that they take their next step. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in here today and you've never been born again, and that just simply means, have you ever given your whole heart and your whole life to Jesus? Have you ever surrendered to Him completely? If not, and He's knocking on the door of your heart, all you have to do is just respond. Just open your heart and respond to Him. Or if you're in here and you say, Pastor Chuck, I, I don't know if I have or not. Well, let me ask you like this. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you would go to heaven? If not, I would like to pray for you. So if you're here and you've never been born again, I'd like to pray for you. If you're here and you've never given your whole heart and your whole life to Jesus, I want to pray for you. Or if you're just not sure that you would go to heaven when you died, I want to pray for you. You know, in the first service, I was talking to a gentleman prior to the first service, and he came to church last week. And, and when he got home, his wife had passed away. It just came so sudden. But she was ready. She was ready to go. And here's the, are you ready to go? Are you ready? And so if not, I want to pray for you. So just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to count to three. Just raise your hand. We'll pray for you right where you are. Here we go. One, two, three. Right now. Anyone in here? Ushers, help me. All right, thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Looking across the room. Good. Everybody, let's pray this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that you love me so much that you sent Jesus so that I can have forgiveness of sins. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. And I thank you for saving me and giving me help. Amen. Church, let's give these a real big hand, all right?
unconditional, it's eternal, it's everlasting, there's nothing that can happen that's going to change that, nothing you can do that's going to change that. I love what Pastor Chuck said, and that if we know that he loves us, that's just going to stir up the faith in us, because if we know how much he loves us, then we won't doubt the links he'll go to for us, and so he wants to do that for you, and if uh, if you came into a relationship with him this morning, if you raised your hand this morning, we just want to encourage you to take that same connection card we talked about in the video, and just go out uh, to the Ask Me table, they've got a gift for you to help you understand uh, the commitment to Christ you made in this new life, this new journey that you have, we want to help you with the next steps to that. We want to let you know what your next steps are. So please drop by the Ask Me table. Give them that card. If you're a guest with us, please don't forget to fill that card out and uh, give that to them. They'll have a gift for you as well. We've got starting point always at the 1045, the second service. So if you usually come to this service and you've never been through starting point, that's our membership class. That's how you get plugged into the dream team and learn the mission and vision of Relate Church. So if you haven't done that, I encourage you to take advantage of coming to the 9 o'clock and you come to the 1045 and go through starting point right after that. We've got first Wednesday, this Wednesday night at 6.30. So we're looking forward to that. Just a special night of worship here in the middle of the week. And uh, we'd love to see you there Wednesday, 6.30. The prayer team is going to be down front. If you got anything you want somebody to pray with you over or uh, you just say, you know what, maybe I should have raised my hand and you didn't, they'd love to pray with you down here up front right after the service is over. Before we leave, if I could, I'll just pray for us all uh, before we go. Thank you, God, for just being with us, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you that every person in this room is a reflection of that love as they go out into the mission field, into their work, into their families, their jobs. Lord, we just thank you for it. We thank you for blessing each and every person under the sound of my voice and represented here in Jesus' name. We call them blessed. Amen. Y'all have a great Sunday. We'll see you Wednesday night.